Jesus, the King of the Jews. That's the title they wrote on the cross that day, but if they only knew. With a crown of thorns, he bore what you and I deserved, his unreserved love, the keynote speaker into my life. He is the groom and the church, his bride. He came from a virgin's womb. He lived a sinless life, was crucified for our transgressions and put into a borrowed tomb. And there he laid for three days. And here is where I will start my praise. The grave could not contain my Jesus, the stain of sin erased because the perfect lamb had been slain. And on that third day, he resurrected with all power and authority. I want to make sure I'm being heard with all power and authority. See, I was the woman at the well, full of secret sin, and oh yes, Jesus checked my mail and he made it priority. Let's just say my heart had become so fragile and frail and I'd become so blind that I couldn't even read Braille. And when he spoke to me like no one ever had, I knew, I knew what he was saying was what I was really needing. So I said, yes. He took and accepted me. He led me to the cross where his life was lost and mine was paid at any cost. We may be socially distant, but Jesus isn't. He has a name so great a tomb could not even contain. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the bright and morning star. His love is not finite. Let me just move over and give him the spotlight because he is the great I am. He was the ram in the bush for Abraham. He makes a way where there is no way. His name is Yahweh. He is the God that sees me. I can't be a runaway because there's nowhere I can go that His grace can't reach me. He's patient, oh, so patient, and He's personable and He longs to have a conversation. The Father that I need, the mother to look up to, He's not bothered when I utter my words to Him. He is the healer, the great physician, the mighty hand to position me. He is the God who sits high and looks low. He is the great accountant. He knows the number of hairs on my head. He is the great creator, for he even created Michelangelo, the great educator, for he longs to reveal his character to us. And today, he longs to be near to you, to carry your burdens in the times that feel so uncertain. But my Jesus tore down the curtain of sin and abolished the separation of you and him. Jesus has left the tomb and the church has left the building. Because of the cross, there is now no separation. Jesus was and is the great mitigation for sin. I don't know where you are today, but I do know where Jesus is. Knocking on the door of your heart, waiting to be invited in. Happy Resurrection Sunday. We're so happy that you joined us today. As we tag team this message today, we know that something is going to be encouraging to you, lifting to you. And for those of you who don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, this is going to be your day, your moment, where you get clarity and where you get an opportunity to invite him in. So Dr. Rice Brooks, would you come and deliver the word of the living God? You're up, my friend. Again, welcome, everyone. You know, the buildings like this are empty around the world, but yet it's an unprecedented gathering together of believers. Uh, I've been on a couple of uh, global calls this past week and listening to the testimonies of uh, nations that, let's just say, in, in parts of the world like Europe where church attendance has been in rapid decline 
over the last few decades, they say uh, there's just an unprecedented sense of people getting online and listening uh, to messages like this, looking for hope. You know, Easter provides hope, but it isn't a false hope. It's a real hope. It's anchored in history. One of my friends named Gary Habermas was losing his faith in college at Michigan State University, and he went to his doctoral degree program there at Michigan State, and he said, I want to do my doctoral dissertation on the resurrection. And they said, okay, you can do it on the resurrection on one condition. They said, just don't come back and tell us that Jesus was raised from the dead because the Bible says so. And he said, well, how long does it have to be? They said, well, at least 200 200 pages. Ended up being 350 pages. And, and Gary Habermas came up with a, he came up with a, a list of facts. He calls them the minimal facts of things that happened, uh, historical, historical facts about Jesus that even skeptics would agree were true. Now think about that. If you're talking to somebody about Christian faith, many times they just, it comes down to their personal opinion versus your personal opinion. But what Habermas did was he, he said, what are the facts of history that even skeptics will acknowledge are true? And then based on those facts, um, what, what does it say? What is the best explanation of those facts? Uh, he calls them the minimal facts. The first one was that Jesus was crucified. He was executed by Pontius Pilate. That's a fact of history. Jesus was crucified at the hands or he died at the hands of the people in history that uh, were the best at killing you. No one ever survived a Roman crucifixion. So there's no doubt, historically speaking, that Jesus, uh, Jesus was dead. He, he had been crucified. The second fact was is that the tomb was found empty by a group of his women followers. Now, many times this fact, when it comes to what will skeptics acknowledge, this isn't 100%, but a, a majority of skeptics or let's just say historical historians who are skeptics will acknowledge that just based on the facts or based on the methods of historiography, using those methods that Jesus's tomb was likely empty. So we know that historically speaking, that he died at the hands of Pontius Pilate. His tomb was empty. And then thirdly, that the disciples believed that Jesus appeared to, the, to them. Now, historians, especially skeptics, won't acknowledge that Jesus appeared. That would have been acknowledging that he was raised from the dead, but they will say that the disciples thought they saw Jesus alive. Kind of like at the end of Star Wars, when you, know, you see the force ghost, you see Obi-Wan and Yoda, and they're you know, kind of like that. Then maybe there was this mass hallucination that the disciples, just out of grief or out of just wishful thinking, thought they saw Jesus. But he said, that historians will acknowledge that something happened. The disciples believed that they saw Jesus after his crucifixion. Another fact is, is that James, uh, James, the skeptical brother of Jesus, uh, suddenly became a Christian. Uh, you can imagine growing up in the household of Jesus and the old adage of mom likes you best or he never does anything wrong or he's, he thinks he's perfect. Well, in this case, it would have been true. But uh, there's, a, there's a time in Scripture where Jesus' family actually came and, and, and he was speaking and they said, you know, he's, he's lost his mind. Uh, please, you know, send him out to us. We'll take him home. So even his own family, especially his brother, was a skeptic. But yet he, he was changed. Something happened after the resurrection of Jesus, the crucifixion, then the resurrection, his brother changed. Another fact is that Saul of Tarsus, someone that we know as the Apostle Paul, suddenly became a Christian. So these are the facts of history, uh, these minimal facts, and there are others. But the question is, it's a, it's a process called abduction. Think about your abs. 
you have deductive reasoning, you have inductive reasoning, and then abduction is how you view history. What is the best explanation of these facts? And so what we're bringing today is not a false hope or a once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away kind of scenario. The facts of the Bible, the facts of the Christian faith are rooted in this historical narrative. Now, the Apostle Paul uh, writes about this in 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 3. He said, I'm bringing to you that which, was of, which is of first importance. He said, and I'm giving to you what I received. I'm giving you what I was given, in essence, is what he's saying. And then basically he states these facts uh, a little bit more eloquently than I just tried to do right then, but he gives them in, in, in this order that he said that Christ died for our sins. He said, according to the scriptures, that he was buried. Now that's significant because many times skeptics will say, well, Jesus may have been crucified, but maybe they threw his body into an open pit. They did that many times in uh, ancient ancient Rome when they crucified people, they just threw him in an open pit and maybe the wild animals just devoured his body, but that he was buried. And then it says he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. And it says, then he appeared, this is what 1 Corinthians 15 says, then he appeared to Cephas, that's the Aramaic name for Peter, to the 12, then to 500 witnesses at one time, to 500 at one time. Think about that. Mass hallucinations uh, don't happen that way. And then to James, the Lord's brother, and then to all the apostles. And then Paul says, and finally to me. When you think about this, it says, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now, not only do we have the historical facts of Jesus's death that we know that's a part of history, but yet it happened according to the scriptures. You see, these were things that uh, were prophesied hundreds of years beforehand, that Christ would die for our sins. Uh, in the 1940s, a, a little boy threw a rock into a cave outside of Jerusalem in the Qumran area and heard uh, a pot break, and it ended up being one of the great discoveries of, of, of archaeological history, the Dead Sea Scrolls. And in those Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, they found, uh, you know, ancient literature that basically predated over a thousand years earlier uh, in the sense of the earliest manuscripts that we had over a thousand years earlier, let's say for the book of Isaiah, you were able to compare what we had before, what we thought were the earliest manuscripts. And now there's a thousand year look predating what we had as our earliest manuscript. And in almost the entire book of Isaiah, in that great chapter, Isaiah 53, where it says, this is almost 700 years before Christ, that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. The prophet said, all we like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all on him. It's as if God took his giant fist, I heard one minister say years ago, and put the accumulated sins of men upon Christ. The Roman crucifixion guard who had seen hundreds of people crucified, it says that when he saw Jesus at the cross and in that moment when Christ bore our sins, he said that had to be the son of God. Paul would go on to say things like this, that he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. It says Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and then he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. David, the uh, King David that we know him as, uh, talked about this in the Psalms where he says, he has not abandoned my soul to Hades. Uh, and you can read these prophetic foreshadowings 
that something would happen where death would be defeated, where the pangs of death would be destroyed. I think this is so critical in this day and age where death and, and disease and all of this specter of, of uncertainty and the power of death seems so great. But yet the hope of Easter offers us something far greater than, than anything that we can have as great as medical science is and as much as we're so thankful for the advances in medical science. Medical science has not been able, nor will they be able to cure death. But this is something that Christ did at the cross and at the resurrection. That his death not only paid for our sins, but the resurrection broke the power of death. That Christ was raised from the dead according to the scriptures. Now, the significance of this is, 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 is we could go on for, for days about this. But for this day, on this Easter, the number one thing that we can offer you is the fact that Christianity, uh, because of this, is true. I have the privilege of speaking on university campuses around the world. And when I s sit before an audience, it many times is, has more skeptics or non-believers than believers. And I'm asked the question, why do you think Christianity is special? I say, it's, it's, it's unique because Christianity is the only religion that bases the entire weight of its truth on one historical event. And that's the resurrection. I'm from Texas, and so if you could kind of pardon my expression, it'd be like a giant poker game where God just kind of bets everything on one thing, and that's the resurrection of Christ. In that same 15th chapter of Corinthians, uh, Paul would say, if Christ has not been raised, then you're still in your sins. Your faith is futile in essence. So Christianity stands or falls on the resurrection. And so number one, we can know it's true. But I think secondly, we can know that, that the scriptures can be trusted. You know, people look at the Bible and somehow think that, uh, well, maybe this is an outdated book. We need something, a newer, a newer morality, a newer guidebook for this uh, turbulent times. But yet is, the more we examine the Bible, the more we realize that it can be trusted. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was raised again from the dead according to the scriptures. But not only does, do those two things, are they based in scripture, but there are other promises. There are promises for peace. There's promises like this. It says, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I don't know how many times I have leaned on that promise, just like I lean on the promise of eternal life and stand in front of a, and stand at a grave of some family or even family members in, 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 in the last year and a half that have died or two years in our family uh, and standing at that graveside and knowing that there's hope beyond the grave. But yet there are practical promises. There's promises of protection. There's promises of peace. And so there's a lot that we, have writing on whether the, these Bible verses, this scripture is true or not. And yet as we come to this Easter moment, this is especially important for us as we face something unprecedented in our lifetime, but yet not unusual if you look back on history. All through history, there've been plagues, there've been challenges, there've been moments of great testing and trial. And in that moment, people leaned on something that could not be shaken. You know, in uh, 1993, on August 8th, I think it was 635, I was on the island of Guam, and the island was hit by one of the worst earthquakes in the past century, an 8.1 earthquake for almost 60 seconds. And I was in room 911. They, this was, again, 1993, so uh, before the infamous 9-11 moment, but they handed me my room key and said, um, you know, if somebody gets in trouble, they can call you. 
But all of a sudden in that one moment, I uh, had two friends in the room, Ron Lewis, a pastor in New York City was with me and another friend was there. But in that moment when everything begins to shake, you don't know what to hold on to. You get on an airplane and there's, there's this moment of turbulence and you can just feel the uncertainty when everything that around you is shaking, what do you hold on to? But this Easter and the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead gives you something to hold on to that's beyond anything physical. It's a real hope. It's a real anchor to your soul. It says we have this hope which becomes an anchor to our soul. One of the facts though that, uh, and I want to segue you back to you, Pastor James, is that we talk about this man we're, we're quoting from that we're reading his writings 2,000 years later, the Apostle Paul. He was transformed. That's a fact of history. Not only are the facts of the death and resurrection true, but Jesus' own brother was transformed. And then the Apostle Paul, who was, a, who was a, literally out to destroy the Christian faith, suddenly turned around and became a Christian. And that hope of transformation, Pastor James, is the hope for every individual because not only can we know the Christian faith is true, but as a pastor, there's a practical promise that no matter what our lives are like, uh, the, the shaking that we've experienced, maybe the, maybe the struggles you're dealing with personally as you're around loved ones, maybe for longer than you've been in a while and things begin to come out and, and issues come out or maybe conflict comes out. And so you're, you're, you're clicking on today, hoping for something beyond just a momentary peace. You say, we need some solutions in our lives. We need something that can, can touch us in our family right now. And I've always been inspired by your story because being from Detroit, you had a transformation yourself that I think, so Easter, Easter is, is very personal for you. So why don't you talk about that? Yes. For, thank you, first of all, Dr. Brooks, for um, those minimal facts because they are not just facts, they are the truth. And it's that truth that has transformed my life. And I do think about myself growing up in a single parent home and my uh, mother, God bless her, and she's watching, did an awesome job of making sure that I was always around the truth. She had the church bus pick us up, she got me in Sunday school and, and, and confirmation classes, and I was always getting the right information like the minimal facts, um, but it just wasn't enough to produce a transformation in my heart yet. Because to get the transformation, I had to surrender. And I had become that type of person who was willing to be around the truth. I go to church services and raised my hands and I sung the songs. And occasionally I would even run and dance and just have an exuberant time as a young man. But all of that emotion, and all that enjoying of the environment that comes by being around God's people wasn't enough yet to penetrate and transform my heart. And I didn't even participate, which is my big thing, to know I did acts of service for the Lord. So I would, you know, uh, scrub toilets and paint and do different things to, you know, participate in feeding programs. And I thought, this is it. Surely... I've earned my way, and, and even though I did the right acts of service somehow, wasn't enough to really believe my heart was transformed. I got into a car accident that could have been fatal. That'll do it. I don't know who you are out there, but there's that moment in your life when you're in that life or death situation, and you make those promises to God, and 
kind of acknowledge he's stronger than you, bigger than you, and you need him. And then that moment goes away like it did for me. And I realize my temporary acknowledgement of God as Lord and boss that was temporary wasn't enough. The most interesting thing happened in my life after years and years of duplicitous living. I I ran into a church mother on my way to a party with her son who asked if she could pray with us before we left. And why not? Everyone needs prayer. She held our hands and we circled up and she said, close your eyes. And we closed our eyes and began to pray. And she said, Lord Jesus, I pray that if they die tonight, Lord, that uh, I pray. No, she said, I pray that they wouldn't die tonight because if they die tonight, they would bust hell wide open. And I just started thinking to myself, wow, what a statement. I waited till the prayer was over so politely, and I announced to Miss Peterson what I knew, that good Christians sing in the choir. And I said, I sing in the choir. Because I had equated the information about the kingdom as transformational to my heart, but it wasn't enough to have information without surrender. And you know, it's funny. I didn't go to the party that day, and I felt good about denying myself. But it wasn't a month later I was at another one. And this time, something very interesting happened. I don't know if you have ever been in that situation where You're not sure what God's voice sounds like, but you received an impression that had to be God. I was in the party just doing whatever I wanted to do. You know what you do at a party. I don't have to go through it. And I heard God speak to me or impress upon me that this was the day I needed to make a decision for him. That knocking at the heart was no longer a knocking. It's almost as if he opened the heart up and said, let's deal. And he began to tell me about my life while all the things were going on. And I don't know what's going on in your life, but God can speak to you no matter how much busyness is going on in your life. And I left that party and he told me, James, you should leave because it's going to get shot up. And all of the people kind of left with me because I was the life of the party and it got shot up. And you would think that this is the moment of the story where I'm going to tell you that I transformed my life. But I didn't. I actually got angry at God. Because I didn't want to look at my character, I tried to make his character bad. Why did he let that happen? As I was walking home, I saw three skinheads um, who were teasing and prodding an interracial couple, and they wouldn't let them pass. And I I asked my friend to give me a bat. And at this moment, the reality of my lack of transformation was more real than ever before. The lack that I only had head knowledge and I didn't have transformational heart change, this was about to be evident because I picked up that bat. And I wasn't going there to scare anybody. I was going in there to hurt somebody. Had murderous intentions. And I ran down the hill where they were because I was on the top. And I was about to swing. And the mercy of God showed up in the form of police lights. Woo, woo, they just stopped me. Asked me, what are you doing? I said, I do not know. 
Asked me what was in my hand and I dropped it. They told me to get out of there and I ran. And for the first time in my life, I remember, I apologize, I got a little emotional remembering it. For the first time in my life, I'm sorry, I remember my moment. I fell on my knees. I couldn't even lift my head up. The tears were flowing so fast. And I said it. All of the Sunday school lessons came back. All of the minimal facts came back all at one time. And I said, I give you my life. For the rest of my life. Your Lord, you've got it all. I surrendered. I surrendered outside on the concrete, laying on my face in a pool of tears, happy and sad all at the same time, because it wasn't information anymore. It become transformation. Why am I here on an Easter? Why is this story so important? Why do I have to tell you about it? Because if he can raise me up, if he can offer me life and meaning, he can do it for any and everybody. I wish I had time to tell you more of my story. It's littered with challenges and hard times. But Christ Jesus has made my life worth living. I have hope today amidst the COVID-19 crisis, the uncertainty with the economy, the sickness that's in my family, the death that just happened in my family because of COVID, and all of the challenges, I still have hope for today. An eternal life waiting on me. So what is this day meant for? To remind us that death has no authority to hold Jesus. And when we accept Jesus, death, sin, guilt, shame has no authority over your life. I'm here to tell you, you have no obligation to your past once Jesus steps into your present. Jesus Christ loves you and me so much that he laid down his life to redeem us. I'm going to offer Christ to you today. And all while Dr. Brooks was speaking and I was speaking, I know by the power of the Holy Spirit, he was knocking at the door of your heart, telling you today is your day. But I pray you would have the moment that I had. No longer let it be head knowledge. No longer is it just uh, another uh, moment in time, but this is my moment. So I'm going to ask Dr. Brooks to join me and lead you in a prayer that will change your life forever. Thank you, Pastor James. And again, the story, when I hear James's, Pastor James's story, it's always, uh, it comes back to me to, to, to see the power of God because 
We live in a world that's torn racially. It's torn in every direction you can imagine. And what we're searching for is we're searching for, is there common ground? How can I, I didn't grow up in Detroit and everybody's story is so different, but yet the common ground is this brokenness that we, we all share. We share, a, we share a challenge, we share a common foe in this, in this virus, but more than anything, there's also something that's always been in us that's common. That's our, our common brokenness, our need for God. So let me pray. Father, thank you so much for each person watching. Regardless of whether they just clicked on for just this moment or whether they've watched this, this whole broadcast, this whole time, I'm asking that you would do something very special. And you can just pray a very simple prayer. Just say, God, I need you. Yes. God, I'm asking you to help me today. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. I, I know that you're real. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I somehow believe that you rose from the dead. I sense and I know that that's true. Not just because of the history or the, the information, but my heart tells me that this is true. And because you have been raised from the dead, this very day I can be raised up into a new life, to a living hope. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the apostle Peter that we, uh, we've heard so much about in Bible stories, the one that walked on water to go after Jesus and then he sunk, the one who denied Jesus three times. But yet after all of that, he was forgiven. And he says in one of these letters that he wrote, he said that he, we've been given a living hope born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. There's a real hope for us today because of what Jesus has done. If you don't have a church home, I want you to find a church close to you and tell somebody that Jesus came into your life today and you made him Lord of your life. Tell somebody, I gave my life to Christ today. I returned to Christ today. Thank you so much for being with us, worshiping with us on this Resurrection Sunday. We look forward to seeing you again in the coming weeks. God bless you.